praying for a great year, uh, what God's going to do at our church. Uh, but tonight, let's take our Bibles. We'll be in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28, as we're moving right along here in our series on the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 28, we'll read the entire chapter. And this evening, we're going to consider Jacob's dream, Jacob's dream. Genesis 28 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from them. Uh, take thee a wife, I'm sorry, from thence, of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padan Aram unto Laban, son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padan Aram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then Esau went unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebath, to be his wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took out the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee, uh, to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. 
But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house of all that thou shalt give me. I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Let's stop and go to prayer tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you for these wonderful promises and the record of how you worked in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how you're still working today in our midst. I pray that we as God's people would have a genuine encounter with you, even this evening, Lord, and that we would be seeking your presence in our lives, that we would be walking in your will and your purposes for our lives. May you speak to us uh, through your word, through me, Lord, as your vessel. Would you have the liberty to bring conviction, encouragement to every heart gathered here tonight? And would you be just exalted and glorified above all else? For as we ask in Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. We are studying a tremendous scripture here, Jacob's dream. It's a very famous passage, but also a very unusual passage. And what's happening up to this point, uh, Jacob, as a character, hasn't really looked very favorable, if we're being honest, right? Uh, the last time we saw him, he was in the middle of a, of a scheme with his mom and deceiving his dad. And so far, there's been very little to even show Jacob saved, that he's even a believer, that he even knew the God of Abraham and his father Isaac. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed hard to find any evidence that he was a believer. But even though he, to this point, had been very carnal and used carnal methods to get the blessing, God was superintending. God had a purpose. And I think God also ultimately saw Jacob's heart, that in Jacob's heart there was a desire to know God. That's why God would reveal himself to him on his journey here in this, in this text. You know, one scripture that comes to my mind that really helps this text to shine is in Hebrews chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 1, and speaking of Jacob's dream, you know, it's the reality that God wants to reveal himself to us. And that's an amazing thought. That's a glorious thought. God, who's so transcendent, who's so far above us, his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts but yet he wants us to know him. He wants us to know his will, and he reveals it to us. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's. What this scripture is letting us know is what happened in Genesis 28 is part of God's revelation of himself. And God revealed himself in history through dreams, visions. Today, God primarily reveals himself through his word. Someone said, I want to hear from God. I want to hear God's voice. Uh, are you reading your Bible? Are you studying your Bible? Are you following the Bible? Not just reading it for study, but also to obey it, to apply it. Then God will speak to you. I want to ask a question. Can God still send dreams today? Some people are like, wait a minute, are you getting Baptocostal, preacher? Let me just say this. God is God, and he can reveal himself however he sees fit. And God can send a dream. 
you know, there's testimonies in some uh, remote tribes when a missionary arrives to give the gospel. Some villagers will testify, you know, we've been dreaming that there is a Messiah out there. Now you're coming to explain him to us. God can do that. Uh, God can send visions. God can do that. He's God. But let me just tell you this. The primary way we ought to be looking for God's voice is through the Bible, through his completed word. You know what happens? Sometimes we look too much for dreams and we don't test those dreams against the scripture. We can be misled. Let me give you an example. I remember one time Pastor Barker and I were visiting a lady and we were encouraging. She made a profession of faith. We were encouraging to get baptized. And she told us, you know what? I don't have to get baptized. We said, oh, really? She said, yes, I, I had a dream that I was baptized as a Catholic, so I don't need to get baptized ever again. And my dream told me that, and so that settles it for me. And it's like, wait a minute, you got to square your dream against the perfect word of God. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. I had an emotional experience, and that's what's going to guide me. But, you know, we can be misled, can't we? Uh, you can have some bad pizza the night before, and our mind's a very powerful thing. Can I just tell you this? We have three enemies, the world, the devil, and our own flesh. And our minds can work against us sometimes, can't they? How many times you thought you saw something and realized, oh, man, I was deceived. I guess I saw that wrong. I missed that. And so whenever someone says, I had some experience, the Bible says, try the spirits, whether they be of God. We want to measure it against the completed word of God. So primarily in this dispensation, we ought to be looking to the Bible to hear from God. We ought to be looking to God's word, listening to his spirit, that we would know his will. But back in Genesis 28, they didn't have a complete Bible back then. And so this is how God was really revealing his will. He had appeared to Abraham and to Isaac. And now we're going to see to Jacob, which is really tremendous. So let's consider first, number one tonight, Jacob's departure. Jacob's departure. Jacob's leaving home. Why? Well, he had just created a big mess at home with his scheme and getting the blessing and deceiving his father and his brother Esau. And Esau was furious and wanted to even kill him. So his parents gave him some advice. You better skip town. You better leave. And he took their advice. And it's interesting. He had received the blessing from his father. And if you go back to Genesis uh, 27 and look at verse 28. Well, look at verse 27. Genesis 27, verse 27. And he came near and kissed him and smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him. So Isaac is blessing Jacob and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God, give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nature bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. A tremendous blessing, right? He's given this blessing, and the first thing he has to do is to leave and go to a barren desert to be hungry and sleep on a stone for a pillow. It's an interesting way to start off your blessing, isn't it? Some have noted, you know, he was blessed with plenty of corn and wine, yet he went away poor with nothing. Probably part of this is God's chastisement of Jacob because of how he went about getting his blessing. That could be part of it. It's also a lesson, an ongoing lesson that we've seen that just because you have a promise from God 
doesn't mean the road's going to be easy. We've seen that already. Abraham was told, get up from your family, go to the land I promised you. He does that. Now there's famine. There's no food there. It's like, wait a minute, Lord, I thought you wanted me to do this. Now there's a problem. Sometimes we, we're, so quick to, we're so quick to quit and throw in the towel when there's a problem. Oh, that means I should stop doing what I'm doing. No, it means press on. Stay faithful. Stay the course. And Jacob here is going to have to learn to expect persecution and trouble even though there's a promise of a blessing. The chapter begins with uh, Jacob's parents advising him to leave, and Isaac is warning Jacob, a very important warning, about not marrying a Canaanite woman. This is a very important warning, and it's a very important spiritual warning. He didn't want him to marry a pagan and corrupt and defile himself and his family and their children. And it's one parents should take note of. Any godly parent would not want their children to marry unbelievers, to marry pagans. And the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And Isaac here is wise with this admonishment. Now, anyone with children, especially grown children, knows, you know, guess what? As after a certain while, they have their own will, and they have to make their own choices, don't they? And they're responsible for their own choices. And I know in our church... We have parents that you have grown adult children that unfortunately have made bad choices. So in some cases, maybe marrying an unsafe person. And my heart goes out to folks like that because I know it can be discouraging, can be deflating. Let me just encourage you that stay praying. Continue being in your child's corner, praying for them. Uh, if they've married someone that's not saved, you certainly don't want to see them get divorced, do you? So that's not the goal. So you ought to support them, encourage them, and of course, pray for their salvation. Pray that God can use means to draw them back to himself. But the warning is given, especially for parents with young children, that you ought to start instilling in your children, hey, here's the kind of spouse and mate that you ought to be looking for, and here's who you ought to be avoiding. It's also a reminder, we've talked about this in the realm of courtship or dating, Today, the mentality is parents keep out. But here, we see in the scripture, parents were very actively involved, and I think that's a good thing. Getting parents permission. Making sure that parents are being honored in the process. Whenever a young couple comes to me, I always try to find out, are your parents honored by your decision here? Do they, do they approve? Do they give their blessing? That's, that's a big deal. And we see Isaac giving Jacob some really sound advice and practical advice. If, Isaac, if Jacob... Uh, did not, uh, if Jacob did marry a Canaanite woman, then it would just mess up the whole birthright and the seed of the Messiah, the plan that God had, going from unbelieving folks. And that's why Isaac admonished him to go back to the family that were believers where he would find a good wife. So Isaac gives Jacob some good advice. He also continues this blessing in verse 3, says, in God Almighty Bless thee. That's a title for God that we've seen mentioned so far. El Shaddai, Almighty God. He said, may he bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. Right? It's repeating that Abrahamic blessing because he is the son of the promise and he has received that blessing. And Jacob is going to be the one to carry on God's promise initially given to Abraham. 
So Jacob gets this blessing, gets the advice, and eventually he leaves. He's going to be gone for about 20 years. And in that time, his mother is going to pass away. A lot's going to change. But he's going to be gone for a long time. But during his time away, even though he was running to escape his brother's wrath, to find a wife, eventually he was going to have a real encounter with God, one that would really transform him for the rest of his life, a lesson that would last him all of his days. So let's consider, secondly, Jacob's dream. As he's journeying, departing from home, by the way, there's a little break in the story. It tells us what's happening with Esau. It brings Esau back in. It says in verse 8, And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael. So Esau was trying to win back his father's blessing and got wind that, all right, he doesn't want us to marry a Canaanite. So he married an Ishmaelite, which is, Ishmael was not the son of the promise. And so that was a wrong move Esau made. And it's further revealing his carnal desires. It's his will, his way, right? It's all about forcing his will, forcing his way. And it shows the real character of Esau that there's no spirituality with him. It's all carnality. It's all flesh. That's why the Bible calls him a profane person in Hebrews 12. It didn't matter to him that God had passed over Ishmael for Isaac. He just wanted to kind of get be in a good light. Bible teacher W.H. Griffith Thomas explained it best. He said, Esau is one of those who tries to do what God's people do in the vain hope that somehow or another it will be pleasing to God. He will not do precisely what God requires, but something like it. He will not entirely give up the world and put God first in his life, but he will try to meet some of God's wishes with a little alteration in his conduct. Instead of renouncing sin, he will cover it with the glory of small virtues. But it is one thing to conform to the outward practices of God's people. It is quite another to be thoroughly and truly godly at heart. Men of the Esau type may attend the house of God and join in its service, but at heart they are essentially without God and regardless of his claims on their lives. That's such a powerful statement. There are some people that they look at the Christian life and say, oh, okay, you go to church on Sunday? All right, I'll, do, I'll start doing that too. I'll go to church. And they think just doing the outward things will hopefully get them a blessing, and they really don't have a desire to obey God, to serve God, to trust God, to walk with God. That's the Esau type. So the Bible gives us the break of what's been happening with him. And then it gets back to Jacob in verse number 10. It says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And on this journey, he's in a desolate uh, place all by himself, a lonely journey. And providence, not by accident, but providence leads him to this specific place. In verse 11, he lighted upon a certain place. The Spirit of God led him to be there. And tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. Well, it's not the Marriott, but it will have to do, right? And he finds a place that is quiet, is safe probably, is probably shaded and covered, and he uh, goes to sleep. And in a very barren desert with hard lodging, God gives him a very pleasant dream. In verse 12, it says, And he dreamed, 
And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. In this dream, it's a beautiful picture of access to heaven. That's part of it. But also God, also his communion and fellowship with earth. The angels are ascending and descending. It's a tremendous dream that Jacob has here. Spurgeon said this, The God of Bethel is a God who does concern himself with the things of earth. Not a God who shuts himself up in heaven, but God who hath a ladder fixed between heaven and earth. You see, this dream is to show Jacob that God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. He has a plan for you. He's involved in your life. It's important. You know, there there have been people throughout the ages that they call themselves deists. And they believe, okay, there's, there's a God out there somewhere, but he's not directly involved in our lives. He's like the clockmaker. He just said it, forget it, and walked away, and it's just all up to us. And honestly, that's how some Christians, they, they wouldn't say that publicly, but that's how they live. Their behavior is almost like, well, God is not really involved. He's not practically and directly intervening in my life. I don't need to pray and submit and surrender. That's how some Christians live. But this dream shows us that God is very much interested in earth. He's the God of heaven and of earth. He has a plan for this earth. And this dream represents God's communion and fellowship and leading. In verse 13, it says, Behold, the Lord stood above it. It's showing the security of this ladder, by the way, the stability of this ladder. Every now and then, Brother Hanif will come down and do some work at the church, and he has to climb up a big ladder, and I'll come up and help him, or Rob, or some others. And it's always nice when you have someone holding that ladder firm. Amen, brother? Amen, Sister Jackie, I should, I should say. She's nodding her head. Like, she's the one that knows the most. That Sometimes uh, needs a little extra help being uh, careful there. Amen? And it's a good thing to have someone keeping it sturdy. And the image here is that God himself is giving stability. It's a, it's a reliable, dependable ladder in this dream. So the Lord stood above it. This dream really comes alive when you compare it with John chapter 1, verse 51. Let's go there. John chapter 1, verse 51. Jacob is getting this encounter with God in a dream, showing God's communion, communication, God's fellowship. But in John chapter 1, here we have Jesus in a conversation with Nathanael. And in John 1, 51, he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The ladder is not just an it. The ladder is a he. It's a person. It's the divine person, the Son of God, the Son of Man. It's Jesus. Boy, now we really see the significance of this dream, don't we? How can earth and heaven have fellowship and communion and relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ? How can sinful man have access to a holy and righteous God through the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the latter. Amen? John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by 
me. Access to God, fellowship with God, it's all through Jesus Christ. So he's not just holding the ladder, he is the ladder. Acts 4, verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not any other guru or religion, but the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ladder. So in this dream, God's revealing himself to Jacob, which is amazing that God is doing that. And Jacob is having a real encounter with God, a personal encounter with God. See, to this point, God to Jacob was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. But now Jacob could say he's my God too. And that's the way it should be for all of us, that we get to that place where we know the Lord. We don't just know about him, but we know him personally, that we have an encounter with him, that we walk with him. That's the goal parents, I'm sure, want to see for their children, that they personally know and walk with Jesus. And Jacob here has a personal encounter with the Lord. The Lord gave Jacob some incredible promises. He repeats the promises given to Abraham and to Isaac. He says in verse 13, the Lord, uh, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. I know there's, that land is under a lot of debate and questioning today. Let me tell you, with God, there is no debate to whom that land belongs to, and it will be settled when Jesus Christ returns. He's going to establish his kingdom, and they'll inhabit the entirety of what God has promised to the Israelites. But God reiterates these promises that he will be with Jacob, right? Jacob wouldn't be alone. There's that divine presence. He will keep thee, he says to Jacob, and will bring thee again into this land. There's preservation, not just protection, but longevity, preservation. And it means that even still today, God has a purpose and plan in preserving his people, Israel. And his divine promise, he said, I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And God is a faithful God, is he not? He's a promise-keeping God, and he will keep his word. So Jacob has this dream, this encounter with God, but then thirdly, Jacob's decision. Whenever you have an encounter with God, you must make a decision. And Jacob made a vow. He decides here to erect a pillar, a monument of this sacred occasion. He understands the significance that the presence of God was just with him. In fact, in verse 19, he calls, it, he calls the name of that place Bethel, which means house of the Lord. And so he's so moved by this encounter with God, he wants to memorialize it in some way. So he builds this pillar. He pours oil, which is a sign of consecration and dedication. That's what they would do in those days. And he's dedicating himself to God here. In fact, many people believe this is when Jacob actually gets saved. That now that he has, has this encounter with God, his, his reaction is now to believe on the Lord and to pledge his life to the Lord. It's very significant. He makes a decision in verse 22 to tithe. It's funny. He didn't have to sit under a, a five-week stewardship course. He just knew that I'm in the presence of God, and I ought to give something back to God. Amen? 
And that's the Christian life, is that you ought to, it shouldn't have to be a twisting of the arm. All right, I've got to give the missions. Pastor's preaching on giving again. It should be, Lord, how, what, what can I do for you, Lord? I'll do anything after all you've done for me. And notice, this is before the law, by the way, before the Mosaic law, but it's a divine principle of giving to God and giving a tenth. I will surely give the tenth unto thee. It's not the first tithe in the Bible. The first tithe we see is Abraham to Melchizedek, but it's very significant, Jacob's decision here for the Lord. Well, in this dream, it was God who showed that he would provide the means for man's access to him. Jacob's dream and Jacob's ladder, this dream that he had here, is in total contrast to Genesis 11, where the men of the Tower of Babel wanted to build their way up to heaven, right? Wasn't that their goal and make a name for themselves? And here we have this dream, and God shows, I have a provision. We don't need man's provision, man's best attempt. God himself will be the latter. He will provide himself, amen? And that's really the contrast. All religions except for biblical Christianity teach, how can I work my way up and, and do my best to try to bring something to God? And the gospel says God has come to us. He is the latter. He is the door, as he said. What a tremendous blessing, the gospel. Again, Jacob, I think this is a reality for him that he has his encounter, a personal encounter with God. Up to this point, his knowledge of God was probably superficial, maybe secondhand. And may I submit to you, I hope that your Christian life is not that way. That it's not just, well, I hear the preacher talk about God. I hear the Sunday school teacher talk about God. I hear my parents talk about God. Do you know God? Do you hear his voice? Are you walking with God? I believe we ought to be having encounters with God. That's why we're here in church tonight. We want to hear from him tonight, don't we? Amen. And we can commune with him in just a few moments as we pray. That's God's desire is to reveal himself and have that fellowship with us. And Jacob's story is a powerful illustration even for us. And an encounter with God means you ought to dedicate yourself to God. It's very obvious. Jacob, the, re the response that he had was very real because of this encounter with God. It says he made a vow, verse 20. Jacob vowed a vow. You know, some people have issues with, with some of this vow that he made, but I think the general idea is that he's, he's pledging himself. He's dedicating himself. He sees God as worthy, and he wants to honor God. And we see that even by his giving of a tithe. So do you desire a real encounter with the Lord? And will you dedicate your life to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you desire to reveal yourself to us. Thank you. You promise in your word that if we seek for you, we'll find you. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us in our services at church, but not just here, Lord, but even in our daily time with you at home, Lord, at the workplace. On, the, on all the roads life takes us, that we would, we would seek your presence, that we would walk with you and know you, that we would be committed to following you. Lord, give us that desire. Lord, we pray that we can know you personally and certainly teach that to our young people, to the next generation. I pray that they would know you, not just about you, Father, that they would 
have a desire to love you, to serve you with their lives, to make a difference in their generation for you. And we just pray that you would just touch us, even in this service tonight. Lord, give us uh, just a sense that you are walking with us, that you do have a purpose and a plan for us. May we not be discouraged and, and hopeless and even deceived, that we would quit and, and draw back, but help us to keep going forward in faith. And we'll just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.